And while you are finding our passage of Scripture in your bulletin insert or in your Bible in Exodus chapter 32, for the benefit of those who were not here last Lord's Day, we began a, a Lenten series entitled The Art of Sacrifice. And last Lord's Day, we looked at Philippians 2 and how this uh, godly characteristic of humility and the willingness to lower oneself enters into sacrifice, and today we go to Exodus 32, a story about Moses to look and see how uh, love for others, sacrificial love, is all about the art of sacrifice and how that allows us to follow God's call in our lives. So we'll uh, read the Word of God together, beginning at verse 30 and reading through verse 34. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you, Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. When the world-famous businessman Aristotle Anassis died, Time magazine ended his obituary on this harsh note. He left little legacy, no monuments, no great achievement other than a succession of business deals. All that remains is the memory of a vital, tough, self-made millionaire who clearly believed that living well was the best revenge. And I think we can be proud at times saying what they did that even though he left behind a fortune estimated at that time at more than half a billion dollars, he left no legacy. Commenting on those words, columnist Jane P. Shannon wrote, to leave no estate is not shameful. To leave no legacy is tragic. Recall the awful words of Christ after the suicide of Judas, it were better for him if he had not been born. Now in contrast to these words about Anassas, there's a little known story of Claudie Payton who went to Africa as a missionary becoming a legend in her own lifetime in Zambia. She felt God's call upon her life to go to the mission field even as a teenager. But because of the death of her mother and responsibilities at home and having to put off her education, she wasn't ready 
until she was age 34, and then she started visiting missions to be sent out to Africa, but none of them would approve her. She couldn't pass the rigorous medical exam required for someone going to Africa. They told her she was too small, too weak, too frail. She'd never make it in that environment. She remained 54 years in Africa, returning only once to the United States. She taught children during that time and founded an orphanage and single-handedly adopted 18 children of her own. She epitomized John Wesley's description that a minister should be ready to do anything, lose anything, suffer anything, rather than one should perish for whom Christ died. She received the Zambian Medal of Honor from that nation's president shortly before her death. She left no estate, but what a legacy of love she bequeathed to hundreds and thousands of people in the name of Jesus Christ. So much so that the Zambian people referred to her as their mother. When I read that description about her, how she was ready to do anything, lose anything, suffer anything, it made me think of this description of Moses that we find in our passage here this morning in Exodus 32 and his willingness to die with his people or for his people in order to try and make atonement for their sin. But first we have to talk about why this great sacrifice was needed. And the reason in Moses' own words is the people have sinned a great sin. And of course the great sin he's talking about is when the children of Israel made a golden calf and started to worship it since they believed that Moses was never coming back down from Mount Sinai. They went to Aaron and they said, here, we're going to give you our gold earrings and our bracelets and all these other items and we want you to make us a golden image. Make us gods that shall go before us. And Aaron made that gold image. And what we have to understand as we reflect on this story is the fact that this this wilderness wandering of God's people, what we refer to as the exodus, is in some ways an act of recreation. It's It's a new beginning. It's a chance for God to start all over with His people Israel. And when we think of all of the the signs, the the miracles, all the different ways in which God was pouring out His heart to His people, even providing them manna and later on meat to eat, in addition to the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. Can you see that that this generation of, of Israelites coming out of Egypt is constantly exposed to something unique? Something that should have, as one scholar put it, disarmed them of any thought of rebellion. But yet this quickly, they have rebelled. And sin, this great sin, and God is angry and Moses is angry. 
Earlier in this chapter, we can read that as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And I can understand that and probably you can too. Moses was so angry, he just just couldn't take it and he threw those tablets of the law and broke them. And we can see that as an emotional outburst, and I think that it was, but we can also see that as something else, the fact that it's a spiritual sign. In other words, this act says to the Israelites, if they're not prepared to obey God's law, then they don't deserve to have it. It's a spiritual sign in the sense that this covenant that God had just made with His people through this law is broken. We know God blesses obedience. Deuteronomy 28 teaches us that. But He doesn't bless disobedience. They have sinned a great sin and sin always demands payment. It doesn't ask for payment. It doesn't suggest payment. Sin always demands payment. And Moses understands this explicitly. That's why he says, I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for you. We see that rebellion is followed by mediation. That's what the gospel proclaims, isn't it? That our rebellion is followed by God's mediator, Jesus Christ. And look at the offer Moses makes to God there in verse 32. Now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please please blot me out of your book that you have written. This is the verse that drew me to this text in the first place in thinking about this art of sacrifice. We can see in these words that Moses is is willing to die for this stiff-necked and sinful people as the book of Exodus describes them. These people who are always complaining and never satisfied with anything, not even the leadership of Moses himself. What a picture of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. What a portrait of the kind of sacrificial and selfless love Jesus had for us all when He allowed Himself to be nailed to the cross. And not only nailed to that cross, but stayed there every single last second until every sin had been totally paid for. As Paul puts it in Romans 5, one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for a good man, one will dare even to die, but God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. This is the kind of love that Moses is showing for his people. And when he says here, blot me out of your book, most of us, when we hear that, because we've read the book of Revelation, we think of that book of life of which Revelation speaks. But this word book is simply a list of all of those alive on earth at any given time. So Moses is willing to, as Isaiah 53 puts it, 
allow himself to be cut off out of the land of the living. Moses becomes a, a type of the good shepherd who is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's bad news to me. Because I'm not sure I would die for you. God forbid that some nut will come in this church one day with a gun. I would hope I would stand between you and that person. But I'm not convinced. So you be ready to duck. <laughs> I would hope I would, but I just wonder. Because I'm too selfish. And I'm too self-absorbed. Here I am a spiritual leader, supposedly, but I'm not filled with that kind of grace, that kind of compassion, that kind of self-sacrificial love. But God is. And Moses is. Even for the loudest complainer in the whole group. And that's bad news because I don't measure up as that kind of leader. And it may be bad news for you too if you find your own heart as the type where love for others is weak and love for self is strong. The good news is there's always room for improvement. You know, that's why we talk about this process of sanctification in the life of the church. Where we more and more die to self and more and more live to Jesus Christ. Where we grow and where we mature and, and, and by God's Holy Spirit where we change so that we more and more become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Change is what we see in the life of Moses. Remember earlier in his life when God came to him and said, Moses, I want you to call and lead my people out of the land of Egypt where they've been captive for years. And what did Moses do? Was he ready to be the mediator between God and his people then? No, he had all kinds of excuses, all kinds of petty and selfish reasons for why he couldn't be that person that would lead God's people out of the land of Egypt. He couldn't do that for God. Nor could he do it for his brothers and sisters. But now Moses has changed and matured. He's, he's neither bashful nor reluctant to be the mediator between God and his people. And he's showing how committed he really is to this responsibility by his willingness to pay the ultimate price. God, if you're not willing to forgive, take my life. You understand, even before the tabernacle is built, Moses is willing to act out the purpose for which it was intended to keep the people connected to God. We can see in these verses, as one commentator has it, an early indication of what is necessary to make proper atonement for sin. Not the death of an animal, but the death of a person. 
And there's even more good news here. God rejects the offer of Moses not because He doesn't like it. After all, it's, it's close to what the gospel is, isn't it? Rather, He rejects the offer because Moses is not able to bring the atonement needed. The substitute for sin must be one who is perfect and without blemish, without fault, just like we see in the Old Testament sacrificial system. Moses is off the hook, and so are we, as far as dying for one another to atone for sin. But this willingness of Moses to die should point us toward another kind of death of which the Lord Jesus speaks in His own teaching when He says, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. We must understand that the the cross, whatever it happens to be, is laid on every single Christian. Everyone here. As Bonhoeffer writes in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, when Christ calls a man, He bids him come and die. It may be a death like those of the first disciples who had to leave home and work in order to follow Jesus. It might be a death like Luther's, Bonhoeffer says, who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it's the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. You remember how the Bible teaches us we were, we were old and then we were a new creation. We're the old person. And then God's grace through His Holy Spirit makes us new. we begin to see that we practice the art of sacrifice as we really follow God's call upon our lives. As we take up that cross and have the sacrificial love to do so. To practice His love, His sacrifice, His compassion, His perseverance, all for the sake of God's promises and His plan of redemption for individual people and for the whole world. This is the kind of life we see Moses live. Moses is not just concerned about the present. He's concerned about this legacy that the children of Israel will leave, this legacy that God Himself talked to Abraham about when He said, through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And there's even more good news because even though Moses was not and is not able to bring atonement, we know who is. God sent His own sacrifice into the world. John 3 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And we know those are very familiar words in in John 3. And, And there's some other familiar words in Romans 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life 
through Christ Jesus our Lord. In the book of Hebrews, we also see this same good news. And while not as familiar, it's more specific to this notion of atonement where the writer tells us in his ninth chapter, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. He has appeared once and for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself and will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. A sacrifice of Himself to deal with sin. We have this great need. We've been separated from God by our sin. And God sends us the exact sacrifice we need. You know, we as humankind have been pictured as a man who's sort of stumbling around, not paying attention to where he really is, and all of a sudden falls over down into a well. And and he's down there and he's treading water and he's looking for some way to climb up the well, but he can't find it. And there's not a rope and a bucket, so he can't climb out. And he's just down there stressing out and treading water and, 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 and screaming at the top of his lungs for somebody to rescue him. And finally, someone passing by hears and peers over and says, What do you want? And the man says, I want out. Rescuer thinks a moment and then writes some words on a piece of paper and lets the paper softly float down to him. And with the shaft of light coming down through, he can just barely see what's written at the top of the piece of paper. And it says, Ten rules on how to keep out of wells. <laughs> now, that's not a joke because that's what the law is. That's how the law is. It's helpful, yes, but only prescriptively so. It in no way can cure us from the disease we have. It can advise us how to stay out of wells, but it's powerless to let down a rope to save us. To save us from drowning. And if you've ever been drowning slowly, you know how frightening it can be. I was drowning slowly one morning on the Nantahala River when I had an out-of-raft experience on the first set of rapids and was going down that river almost faster than the rafts around us were. And I was getting more strangled by the moment, even though I was a strong swimmer. And I began to have that fear about what might happen. And thank God, right at the right time, a raft got to me. Somebody pulled me in that boat, and they got me over to the bank because, you know, I I learned something very important that day. When you're strangled, you have to be standing up to be able to cough enough to get back right the way you want to be. And I couldn't do that going down that river. And they took me to the bank, and I bent over, and I stood there, and I coughed for as long as it took to become unstrangled. The good news of the book of Exodus 
the good news of the book of Hebrews, the good news of the gospel of John, the good news of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, the good news of of the entire Bible is that God sends the one we need at just the right time to save us from drowning in our sins. This means that our hope is not in the things that we can do or need to do, but our hope is in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. It's like the old hymn says, our hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Than Jesus' sacrifice. Than Jesus, who was the one who said to God, if you'll not forgive, I'll die to make atonement for their sin. And He's the only one who could do it. And He was willing to do it because of His sacrificial love. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the good news of the gospel to me. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.